guard over my mouth and that you would just guide our time together. And Holy Spirit, we just give you uh, this next block of time and ask you to, to move in a sweet way. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we have been uh, going through the book of Daniel, and obviously we've been looking at a character named Daniel uh, in the book of Daniel. And we looked at him for a couple weeks and the different life situations that he was in, that uh, his story starts out with Jerusalem being overrun by the Babylonians and uh, the temple being destroyed, him being taken, uh, family probably getting killed, uh, but him being taken to Babylon, uh, brainwashed for three years uh, with a different god and a different cult, or different gods, a different culture, uh, different languages that he had to learn. Uh, he was in the service of the king, and uh, we looked at uh, then uh, chapter two or chapter one, the second message in our series. We talked about how Daniel decided, and he made a point where he said, "I will not defile myself." He made a line in the sand where he felt like God had given him a conviction and he wasn't willing to shift that. That brought us through the end of chapter 1. And then we went to chapter 2 and talked about how Daniel continued uh, to minister to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, even though Nebuchadnezzar had taken everything from him. Uh, Go back to chapter 1 to figure out how intimate that was. And uh, God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, acting as a lowercase God, had uh, just really destroyed a lot of people's lives. And uh, yet Daniel in chapter two comes through and interprets a dream for um, interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar and uh, is put over all the wise men in the land and God uses him and so his life is revived his purpose is revived and God is using him then we get to chapter three Nebuchadnezzar again thinks he's God and so he makes a huge ninety foot statue and makes everybody bow down to it uh, it probably looked like him and he forced people to bow down but yet God's people Shadrach Meshach and Abednego would not bend uh, or go and worship. Sorry. They, sorry. The only written down uh, joke today was bend to go. Didn't bend or go to worship. Golly. Ruin that. But uh, this morning I want to look at a little bit, and we've been, I've been trying to highlight this to kind of play into this message for the last couple of weeks. But what we're looking at in the book of Daniel is God's relentless pursuit of the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar so far has been in charge. Uh, This will be the last uh, chapter in the story of Daniel that uh, Nebuchadnezzar will really show up as a key figure uh, as his reign is about to end, uh, 45-year reign, and then uh, Darius will will take over and so on and so forth after that. Uh, And then we'll get to other kings and so on that we're over. But Nebuchadnezzar's time is about up here uh, for ruling the nation. And uh, what we see is over the past several chapters, the first three chapters of the book, is God setting up Nebuchadnezzar to come to know him. Like this is this crazy transition that happens in the book where now we actually get to see that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. Uh, and, and, and it's pretty dramatic as we'll see today as we read through uh, chapter 4. We'll kind of uh, begin by reading through chapter 4 in different sections. We'll take it section by section and uh, hopefully bring some things out in the text and maybe some uh, ways that we can apply the text. And then we're going to really hone in on uh, just how authentic that the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar was. And what does it look like to have an authentic conversion where we uh, take the old us and we become the new us and or maybe more applicable. uh, God takes the old us and makes us the new us. And so Nebuchadnezzar's journey up to this point in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar uh, has this quote. Uh, your God is the God of uh, the God of gods and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So if you remember in chapter two, 
That's where Daniel was used to interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody else could do that. None of the pagans God, pagan gods spoke. And yet God's man, Daniel, uh, interpreted the dream. Uh, he knew the dream. He interpreted the dream. Uh, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the chapter, professes, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries. And we think at the end of that chapter that Nebuchadnezzar has had this spiritual awakening inside of him because he said, uh, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But that really doesn't matter because in, Dan- or in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he was a god. And so Nebuchadnezzar had never laid that truth down. He, he didn't just associate as being uh, having somebody over him as a king because he believed he was a god and he was worthy to be worshipped at that point. And then we get to chapter 3, and, and, and chapter 3, verse 29, and Nebuchadnezzar professes again near the end of the book uh, in, in verse 29, no other god, there is no other god who can rescue in this way. He sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live out their faith and it's like this big blip on the radar screen for uh, Nebuchadnezzar where we think, oh, the guy's, you know, he's, he's like, this guy's legit in his faith. It's awesome. It's vibrant. This guy now loves the Lord. This is great. Revival will break loose. And then dun, 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 we get to chapter four. Now, as we read through chapter four, I want to start by saying the story is not about a God that will destroy your life to win your affection. Uh, looking at uh, Nebuchadnezzar's life, Nebuchadnezzar's life uh, gets pretty much destroyed to the point where he's eating grass and and he's hanging out with animals, not people. So we're going to see the life of Nebuchadnezzar just really go to a point where he's got nothing left. But this is a story about a God who would stop at nothing to pursue you. This is a story about a God who would stop at nothing to pursue one of the most wicked kings ever. That God didn't slow down anything to get a hold of his heart. So let's start by reading Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. More of an intro, the first couple of verses uh, in Daniel chapter 4. So Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in, the, in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures forever from generation to generation. And so, uh, begin by seeing uh, Nebuchadnezzar is is kind of the the one that stipulated that this chapter be written. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell his whole conversion story. So, the first couple verses, all those are doing is is showing us where he's going to end up that he believes that God is the ultimate authority, that he believes that God is ultimately in charge of everything, that God truly is the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that he is in charge of everything. So he sort of gives us a hint at the beginning, and then he tells Daniel, all right, I want you to write this whole story down. So this is them just having a cup of tea, and Nebuchadnezzar saying, I want everybody to know how I came to know Jehovah. I want everybody to know how I came to know God. And so Daniel begins to write it down, and the story begins. So first three verses are just an intro. Uh, We're going to read verses 4 through 7. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and as I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon 
should be brought before me and that they, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in uh, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. All right, so uh, we've got just the first couple uh, words in, in, in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. No chapter in the Bible ever starts out or ends well that starts out like that. And so this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar essentially in the same spot that we found David in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, where David is... Um, at ease in his palace, he's walking on the rooftop and he's looking out and he falls into some of the most grievous sin that he's ever done, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, I'm in the same spot, man. I was just chilling like a villain in my palace. Things were going great. I was prospering. We'll look at how much that he was actually prospering. Nothing good comes of that. When we begin to look at all that we have and we begin to just rest in our comfort, right, and not ever want to leave that for the sake of the gospel, Nothing good happens. Where initially does Nebuchadnezzar turn here? So he has this vision, he has this dream. Where does he turn again? He turns to the magicians, and he turns to the enchanters, and he turns to the wise men, he turns to the astrologers, and he says, hey, I want you guys to come in, and I want you to interpret this vision that I've had. He didn't learn his lesson, right? He still hasn't figured out that... God is God, and He will always be God. He will always be in charge, and that He should probably look to Daniel at this point or look to God Himself. He just has not figured that out yet. Those of you that have been ministering to somebody for a long time and wanting to see them coming to know Jesus, and, and you just are praying for them, and you're, you're witnessing, you're, you're sharing your testimony with them, you're, you're talking to them, you're wanting them to come to know God, and then you just see them make a poor decision, it can be so discouraging. And yet Daniel's here in uh, verse 8, and he just shows up and just continues to be, to be a faithful witness. At last, Daniel came in before me, verse 8, he who is named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of, is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O uh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. And the visions of my head as I lay on my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong. And its top reached, the, reached to heaven, and it was so visible to the end of the whole earth, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field, fields found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw the visions in my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under, under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. And the sentence is by decree of the watchers. The decision is by the word of the holy ones to the end, uh, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom he will and sets over the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you about the Shazar, 
tell me its interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me its interpretation, but you are able and the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Whew. All right, that was one of the longer sections that we're going to read this morning. Uh, and, and so Nebuchadnezzar, what we're going to find out shortly, if you're reading ahead, stop. But what we're going to find out, I'll, I'll save you some reading time. What we're going to find out shortly is this is a direct vision for Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a far off prophecy. This is something that's ready to go down. And it's going to go down literally in a year from the time that this vision is given. And so what he sees is this gigantic tree and everybody's clouding, everybody's uh, scurrying around. The branches are full. The fruit is good. I mean, this is a strong tree. This tree is not going to be taken down by anything. And then God intervenes. Uh, we, we see in here the word the watchers. Uh, they talk about how um, uh, this tree is going to be uh, taken down. Uh, these watchers are simply angels. They're messengers sharing a message. And they speak of how this tree is going to be taken down. And it talks about seven periods. Those are more than likely uh, seven years. So there's going to be a seven-year period where this tree is just going to be taken down. And everything that this tree does, everything that this tree owns, everything that this tree provides for other people is going to be scattered for seven years. The Lord is going to crush Nebuchadnezzar so that he is seen uh, as the true king. The Lord is going to come down and he's going to crush everything that Nebuchadnezzar knows so that he will finally worship him. God has not stopped pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. And the thing that has stood between Nebuchadnezzar coming to know God and God himself is Nebuchadnezzar's pride over his kingdom. And so God is not willing to let that stand in the way. God pursues his heart. So let's see. Uh, verse 19 through 27, how the Lord does that. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you, Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemy. Uh, Daniel knows that if he speaks something that the king doesn't want to hear, the king can just lop his head off. Like at this point, Daniel... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, I really think this was important. Like, he woke up and knew that something uh, was meant by this dream. This, just, this wasn't, uh, you know, funky Mexican food the night before, uh, that, that he just had this weird dream. Uh, this was him knowing that God was trying to get a message to him and wanting to know and, and having this desire to hear the true interpretation of what it has for him. What you see here is the king's heart beginning to, to shift. God is changing his heart to want to know what God has to say, right? And so this is a little tweak, just a little view of that. Verse 20, the tree you saw which grew became strong and so its top reached the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant, in which was fruit for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Right? And so at this point in the vision, Nebuchadnezzar is like, you're right. My reach does go to the ends of the earth. You know, like at this point in the vision, Nebuchadnezzar is like, yeah, you're right, man. I am a strong, I'm like a strong tree, aren't I? And so he's feeling really great. 
Like, practically, if we just wiki uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and we look at his accomplishments, it's insane. I mean, this guy truly did uh, rule the known earth. I mean, this guy's accomplishments, I'm just going to read a few of them. He starts his inaugural address by praying to a pagan god. And here's his inaugural address. O merciful Murdoch, may the house that I have built endure forever, and may I be uh, 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 saturated with splendor, attain old age therein, and abundant offspring, and receive therein tribute of all the kings of all the regions of all mankind. This seemingly happened. So he starts his inaugural address by, by praying to this pagan god, and it seemingly has happened. Everybody's praying tribute to him. Everybody's paying taxes to him. Everybody in the known universe is under his control. He destroyed Jerusalem, the temple of God. I mean, this guy's feeling pretty good about himself, right? He ruled the whole known world. He reigned for 43 to 45 years. The city of Babylon, get this, was 14 by 14 miles square. It was an exact square, 14 miles by 14 miles. The walls were 300 feet high. Archaeologists have proved this. 300 feet high, 25 feet thick. He made the walls that thick so that they could drive the chariots three, three to a side down the middle of the wall. The interior of the wall went 35 feet below ground to ensure that nobody would dig under the wall to attack them. The river ran through town. 250 watchtowers were built 450 feet high. So this guy has got this 14 by 14. I mean, think about it. It's nine miles to Lake Placid. Just put that in perspective. He's saying his kingdom was 14 miles by 14 miles by 14 miles by 14. I mean, this dude has a big kingdom. And he ruled everything on the other side of the wall, too. So this guy is like, yes, I am a strong tree. Uh, The hanging gardens that he built for his wife were listed as uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And so uh, they invented an irrigation system that had never been invented before and, and, and was uh, just at the, ahead of its time. I mean, this guy was on top of on top. And God is about to tell him, this tree that you think you are, I control when it gets chopped down. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, Chop down the tree and destroy and leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him, let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is its interpretation. O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwellings shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew from heaven. And seven periods, seven years, of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to whom He will. God wants Him to know that He is in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody ever gotten that memo from God at a time in your life? That God reminds you, I'm in charge, you're not. This is God doing this in an incredible way. Verse 26. And here's where Daniel is just such a faithful witness. Verse 26. And it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree 
your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know the heaven rules. So he's saying, if you acknowledge God's lordship over you, everything is going to be restored to you. But we're going to wait for that time. God is going to wait for that time where you really figure this out. Verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. And here's where Daniel is just, it's a home run. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Where have we heard that message before in the story of the Bible? John the Baptist, right? Like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Matthew chapter 3. Like, John comes on the scene with the very same message. Hey, this is serious. King, listen. Bad stuff is going to happen. And in the next section that we read, Nebuchadnezzar ignores for one year this message. He just completely writes it off and doesn't respond. If you want something to take home today uh, that may be a little bit, you might want to think about, is the lack of discipline by the Lord or the lack of consequences does not mean that God is approving of your behavior. Simply because for one year, so there's going to be this message, this whole, you know, uh, message of repent, King, like you, you have not, you, you are not walking with the Lord. God has sought you. God has blessed you. Turn to him. Did not change Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar looked at all that he had and he thought, well, God has blessed me with stuff. And so I'm secure. God has uh, helped me to reign for this long. I'm secure. I am such a big, beautiful tree that I can never be chopped down. (laughs) And then the Lord intervenes. Right? Like, where does this apply in our lives? Right? Like, when we just take the idea of finances and we forget that we're supposed to honor the Lord with our finances, just because God hasn't crushed our finances and we're able to pay the bills... We think, I don't need to adjust the way that I live with my money. Right? Like, we have beautiful children when they're four, five, and six, and you know they're pretty nice kids, and so maybe I don't need to disciple my children and and bring them up in the ways of the Lord. Maybe they'll just get it. You know, that's what happened to me. And then we don't invest in our kids, and then they rebel when they're teenagers, and then we don't realize that, wait, just because they didn't walk through that, I neglected my job. There's consequences later. Right? I mean, I mean, think about it. Uh, when you don't invest in your marriage for a long period of time, and then things break, and you realize you don't even know the person next to you. Well, there weren't consequences here, so I just kept doing what I was doing, and it, it's going to catch up. Now, God's grace immediately erases that. When, when, you, when, you, when you turn to God, God is able to fix anything that is in your life that you allow in. But think about how many other areas that this happens. Think about prayer, prayerlessness alone. You will never know what could have happened with the amount of prayers that you didn't pray, right? Like, well, you know what? I was busy. I didn't, I didn't decide to pray today. You know, I was busy. I didn't have time to pray all week. You, you know what? I, 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 you know, it's been a month since I've really sat down and really had a heart-to-heart with the Lord. 
And so because there's no consequences that we see for that month, we think, I'm, I'm just going to continue. Galatians 6, 7 says that the Lord will not be mocked. God is gracious, but God is not going to allow that. Teen, when you think that because the hammer hasn't come down on you running away from the Lord that you're safe, think again. The Lord will catch up. The Lord is pursuing you. The Lord wants your heart. He doesn't want to punish you. He isn't coming after you with a baseball bat. God is running after your heart. And if you do not turn to Him, He will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop pursuing your heart. It is out of love, not out of punishment. Right? Gentle conversation, you know, confrontation. That was that was fun, right? Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking on the roof of his royal, the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, and you can underline the I's and the my's and the means, which I have built by my mighty power as the royal residence for the glory of my majesty, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you will be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, and his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Kind of creepy, right? And, and so God, in his pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar, the only way that Nebuchadnezzar would uh, be in a spot to respond, the only way that Nebuchadnezzar would, would really... Uh, or God would be able to display his pursuit of Nebuchadnezzar was to drive him away for seven years. So for seven years, he was driven. He was eating, eating grass in, in the wilderness. He was re, uh, not hanging around people. He was hanging around the animals. At night, he was sleeping under the stars. This man from being, went from being in the penthouse and having everything to his only desire being grass. Right? Like, He's in a spot of telling princes and kings what to do, and, and now the only thing he's able to do is wander around and eat grass. So God's pursuit of him leads him to this point where he's got nothing left. He's got nothing left. The only thing that he desires is grass. That's intense. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 37. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, 
and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So, uh, I want to point out Nebuchadnezzar's conversion story. This is Nebuchadnezzar's uh, conversion story. There, there was a complete change from the old Nebuchadnezzar to the new Nebuchadnezzar uh, from chapter 3 where he demanded worship or death, worship of himself or death, to somebody who is willing to have an entire chapter written in the language of the people, written in Aramaic so that the local people could hear the story of their king coming to know the king of kings. He wanted everybody to know this. So how does true conversion happen? See, we could take this story and we could say, if God wants anybody, He can destroy their life until they turn. Right? Like, we could get that message from the text. We, we, could, we could preach that message. But that's not how biblical conversion happens. That's not how we come to know the Lord. This is one man's particular story. He was led to a spot of God speaking, God speaking, God speaking, him refusing, God correcting, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar experiences a new birth. So how does this happen? Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. So number one, his eyes were up. This is a work that only God can do. And here's where I think in churchdom, we mess this idea up of coming to know Jesus, right? Like in an effort for us to reach people, we say, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. But here's how God works. What we do is we sort of say, follow Jesus and then you'll have the new birth, right? I mean, would you, would you agree that's a message that we portray at different times that if you turn to Jesus, he will respond to you. Is, is that not something that maybe we've been taught over the years or that we've thought over the years? That's not how this works. If you're taking notes, write down the word regeneration. All right? Regeneration. This is what happens when somebody gets converted. You see, Nebuchadnezzar did not lift his eyes up on his own. Right? God has to lift our eyes up to see him. And so in this spot, uh, God, uh, out of complete grace, draws, prompts, emboldens, drives you to a spot where you want God. You want to please God. You want to begin a walk with God. This is what happens in Nebuchadnezzar. He's finally at a point, and God is ready to do the work in him to turn his eyes up to himself to finally see God. Here's what Wayne Grudem says in Systematic Theology. I won't read a lot of his writing because it's confusing. But God, through the Holy Spirit, in an unseen, invisible way, awakens spiritual life within. Right? And so, Nebuchadnezzar's story, I mean, God dramatically awakens Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know why God would take so much time on one man? Because he was the ruler of all. I mean, if God can win the king, who can God win? And for this particular man, this is the story God played out. And so, 
God at one point, he awakens the spiritual desire in Nebuchadnezzar and he wakes up and his eyes open. Regeneration can only happen. The new birth is maybe how we would determine or we'd word that better. Being born again, your eyes being opened is something that God totally does apart from us. Here's what Jonathan Edwards says about this. The new birth is not the product of the will of man, but of the will of God. Edwards said God regenerates with the potent, irresistible energy. If they are converted and saved, it is not of man that wills, uh, wills originally, but God that wills and works according to his will. Did you, did you get that? That God with a potent, irresistible energy. God lifts up Nebuchadnezzar's head. He's got his head down. He's got nothing to offer God. That's what we grasp from this. Nebuchadnezzar came to the Lord. He's got nothing to offer God. He's got no more riches. He's got no more kingdom. He's got no more sway around the people around him. He's got nothing left. He's eating grass. And God lifts his head up to finally see God. When we come to God, we come to God realizing we offer Him nothing but ourselves. Nothing at all. God, I'm trusting You with what I do have, but what I do have ain't a whole lot. Right? I'm just me. Use me, Lord. That's how conversion happens. God shows you that you bring nothing to the table. Nebuchadnezzar could have been converted in the palace, having everything and offering it to the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar could have been converted eating grass. He chose eating grass, right? And so he looked up and he said, God, right? And so he just looks up and he, he finds the, golly, you guys are a tough crowd today. Finds the Lord. I'm going to look at three verses that, that show this point in scripture. Uh, first verse, John 1, 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Who were born? We were born. Think about the idea of being born. How much effort did you did you put forth in uh, in being born physically? I mean, I don't remember the day very well, but I'm pretty sure I just came out like a sloppy mess into the you know into the doctor's hands, right? I mean, some of you maybe you just you know got a running start and came, but I think the majority of us had nothing to do with our physical birth. It is the exact same with our spiritual birth. It had nothing to do with you. And all about God coming to you and grabbing your heart and turning your head up to Him. Right? That, that's what happens at regeneration. God turns our head up to Him. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26, and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Right? I will cause you to walk in my statutes. That's a prophecy about us being regenerated. If God gives us a new heart and a new spirit, what is our work there? There, there is no work. This is God sovereignly saying, Paul Pillis, look up to me. John Schwartz, look up to me. Caleb, wake up, buddy. That, that's what happens. That's how regeneration happened to us. Is God said, Ryan, get your mind out of the gutter. Quit eating grass. Me. God did that. You think I have the power? You have the power to come to God? Think again. Right? Talk to Jacob about building a ladder because it didn't work. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. So 
What was the work of these people to have the Holy Spirit fall on them? (laughs) They heard the message and the Holy Spirit fell. God turned their heads up to Him with the message of the cross. This is how God works. You simply responded. That's conversion. So God's work is regeneration. That's Him taking your head, tilting it towards Him, giving you the cognitive ability to respond to Him. All right, and understand the gospel. Our work is converting. Our work is changing our mind. Our work is repentance. Our work is saying, yes, I want to respond to these feelings and emotions I have because I'm kind of in love with you, God. Right? And so when we see the work of God and we get that like excitedness in us, that's God. And the first time that you had that, that was a work of God. You didn't generate that at all. You had no ability to do that. That was God. God draws and gives, number one. Number two, the spiritual hunger. God, you get a spiritual hunger and God opens your eyes. That's regeneration. And then number three, we respond to what we see. And what do we see? We see God in His glory. That's conversion. Alright? So God's work is regeneration. Our work is conversion. Right? We have a partnership with God in that. Number two... Um, oh, we're almost done. So number number one, uh, God turns our eyes up through regeneration. God says, Whoa, look at me. Number two, he willingly elevated the Lord's name. He willingly elevated the Lord's name. Let's look at the rest of verse 34. And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Right? So finally Nebuchadnezzar was willing to give a little Tebow action to the Lord, right? He was finally able to say, all right, Lord, you are, you are God, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to um, bless the Most High. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to honor Him who lives forever. So we can see this conversion has happened. Professed God as Lord, verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are, encountered as, are counted as nothing. He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He professed God as God and Lord. You are, you're over everything. I'm just here and I want to give you whatever I have. Number four, conversion has happened and then the blessings come. There is no manipulation of God. His authentic conversion was not him manipulating God to get something. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Nebuchadnezzar isn't promised that everything will be returned to him uh, without anything happening. He says, when you figure out the Most High God, when you respond to the Most High God, then these things will come. It's not him manipulating God. It's him coming to God and God adding those things later on. Anybody put together why we read Luke chapter 15 earlier? Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus uses the two analogies. He says, all right, there's a hundred sheep. If one of them's lost, I'm going after that one. Like as the church, we think, well, what about the 99? Right? That, that's not the point of this parable. The p- point of the parable is not to worry about the 99 that he left to go get the one. The point is that God uh, cares about every single one together. That, that is the point of this parable is that God looks at all hundred and says, you are mine, I'm gathering you. This is what God is continually doing. This is what God desires to do through us, the church. To reach out with arms and say, you are His. God loves you. And a woman who loses a coin, she has ten, she loses... One, she searches and searches and searches. This is what God does. And what is, the, what is the point? What is the other point of this whole parable? It's a word that is repeated five times. Verse 5, rejoicing. Verse 6, rejoice. Verse 7, joy. Verse 9, rejoice. Verse 10, joy. Joy is the thing that... Um, Uh, that God and the angels are doing when we come to Him. Why would we not, when one sinner says, I want you, God, why would we as a church not participate in reaching those that don't know Him? If we know that this brings God overflowing joy, if we know that it's exciting and joy-filled for us, and this is why we were created, why do we not actively seek the lost? And, And maybe you do. Maybe the message was for me this week. But this has got to start affecting more than I'm praying for my friends who are lost. This is good. I'm glad you do that. But when are we going to get real and realize that this God is pursuing people's hearts around us all the time and we're going to put words to our prayers and we're going to begin to share about Jesus and really do this. Is your heart God's heart on the matter of people not knowing Him? Is your heart God's heart? Are you the one who's been holding off and responding to the Lord in an area? As a believer, is there an area where you know that God is prompting? You know that God has spoken to? uh, And I don't know what that area is, but is there an area in your life where you know God has spoken into you And you have continually rejected and rejected His voice. For those that are here that are kind of curious about spiritual things or you know that God is doing this work of regeneration in you, that your your eyes are open, have you responded to the Lord? 
by surrendering your life to Him and saying, God, I'm, I'm not God. I'm yours. Is that you? John and the band are going to make their way up. We're going to close out with one more song. If you all stand and we're going to do our time of invitation and worship and you can stay where you're at and sing. Uh, you can pray where you're at. You can um, just look at the words on the screen. Uh, if you need prayer and you feel like you need to come down and, and talk to one of us about any, any matter, uh, we're here. We'll have some prayer counselors up front and uh, desire to, to walk you through whatever's on your heart, whatever burden is there. Uh, but don't leave this house without responding. Uh, let me pray us into worship as John begins to play. God, thank you uh, for the ability to just come to you, uh, Lord Jesus, that we, uh, whether we are in the palace high or whether we are eating grass, Lord, uh, God, that we would want you, uh, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would show us the pursuit that you have after our heart, God, and that our response would be honoring to you, Lord, whether this is the first time we've professed you or whether this is the hundredth time that you've uh, corrected and changed our minds or taught us something and, and changed us, Lord. God, we give you all the praise and all the honor, Lord. I pray that you would move in power and that you administer to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. When you roll the stone away, when you walked out of the grave, you were standing in the light of day. Everything's changed. You said, Do not be afraid. You were scarred to heal the pain. You defeated death and shame. And everything's changed. Everything's changed. And when I mess it up, you say your love's enough. You say you'll never leave or forsake me. And when I come undone, you say the only one to say, oh, me now and forever. And I will never be the same. stone away I was lifted from the grave and now I'm standing in the light of day and everything's changed I don't have to be afraid cause you're with me in the pain you free me from all my shame Everything's changed, everything's changed. And when I mess it up, you say your love's enough. You say you'll never leave or forsake me. And when I come undone, you are the only one to say you me now and forever. And when I mess it up, you say your love's enough. You say you'll never leave or forsake me, and when I come undone, you are the only one to stay on me now and forever, and I will never 
found love and heaven's right from the depths to the sky. Eyes fixed on the one who knows no end. You stand strong for all of time in the joy, in the trial. You are the beginning and the end. Your love goes on. Your love goes on. Ever I will see. 